Welcome to another episode of the Beer Books Podcast. On this episode, not only have you got myself, Daisy Ray and April Berry, we have a guest host, Carolyn Ward-Daniels, who has also written a January sales flash fiction. And she will be joining in with us today and reading her story and listening to ours. We will subject her to that. Yes. So welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. It's nice to have you. Thank you very much for having me. We know you of old, Carolyn, just for anyone that's just joined us on Bear Books that hasn't listened previously. The very first episode of season one, we reviewed Carolyn's book called Flint, and it was amazing. A brilliant book. April and I both loved that one. Yeah, we did. Thank you very much. Still one of our most popular episodes and gets re-listened to time after time still. Oh, that's great. Really good. The only thing that was missing on it really, Carolyn, was you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm here now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So today then we will be reading our flash fiction stories on the writing prompt January sales. Yeah, I got the old grey matter circulating again. Absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing like a biro on a virgin piece of paper. Don't you find that a bit frightening? <laughs> Completely blank. I think it's exciting. Ooh. I think it's really exciting when you see that. It's like even if you doodle. Do you know what I mean? And, and even if, uh, I think to write anything, I think you've got to, to have a plot, otherwise there's nowhere for the words to go. But even if you're not in, uh, nothing intentional in your head, I think it's just good to write things down. I find little bits of paper all over the house, all over the cabin. It might be just a sentence that I like, and I think it, I'll forget that. So I write it down. So paper and pen is, is always great to have around, always. And I do find little gems that, from the past that I've written. Sign of a true writer there. Yeah, it is. Just like when we did the one with Dean for the Christmas special, we'll just sit yeah. and read our stories and talk about the stories, and, and that'll be it, really. He made me cry, he did. Are you supposed to be very surprised? I saw my reflection when the penny dropped, and I looked dead gormless. My mouth <laughs> was thinking, oh, fuck me. Then Dean's made me cry, and, and yours making me eat Santa. <laughs> yeah, we should have had a disclaimer in that that don't allow your children to listen to this. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Yeah, I love it. It was such good fun, really, because that's like the first one we did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's my, it's my little half hour of loveliness, you know, peace and quiet in the more early, early hours of the morning and putting that on a cup of coffee, piece of cake, bloody lovely. <laughs> I've got to say, your two voices... The, the contrast is wonderful. How you do to the contrast of what you both like is brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we don't like the same things in any way, shape or form. We both know where each other's crumple buttons are. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So, April, would you like to kick off and do yours first, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Chasing through the window of the local bike shop, I was so excited. I absolutely needed that bike. The beauty of it was astonishing to behold. The paintwork shimmered. The carbon frame was as smooth as a baby's bottom, flexible and light. The equipment was top-notch. Smooth gear changes for uphill. Hydraulic disc brakes ensuring my safety in all weathers. Apart from a large expense for a funeral at the beginning of last year, I built up quite a sum of money in my savings account enough to purchase the bike of my dreams. Was I crazy, I asked myself, spending £5,000 on a push bike? 
I heard people make remarks like, my car didn't cost that much. You can get a bike for a tenth of the price. Who in their right mind would pay that much for a push bike? But this wasn't just any ordinary push bike. It was the same model that had propelled professional cyclists up Mont Ventoux, glided up La Planche de Belfi to victory in the greatest bike race on earth. And whilst I will never be that winner of the Tour de France, I wanted to ride the best bike I could afford, and it was discounted by 20% in the January sales. Okay, so it was last year's model, but that didn't matter to me. I didn't actually like the new one. I had trawled magazines, done so much research, and last year's was a better model than this year's. Another company that downgraded a product, packaging it as better than last year's, and charged more. It's amazing what advertising companies can make you believe. They convinced me last year, and I had been bitten with my helmet. I had a perfectly good one, but the advertising had persuaded me to buy a new one at the beginning of last year. But to my cost, I discovered it didn't live up to the hype. The shop door opened. I'd been queuing for what seemed like days, although it was only two hours. Two hours of daydreaming about future rides. In the past, I had ridden every day the boring commute, rides by the canal watching the ducks and swans wandering on the towpath swerving around them and riding like my life depending on it from the vicious mums protecting their newborn signets. I was planning a summer holiday along the Danube. Five countries, lots of scenery, exercise, good food, drinking wine and surveying the scenery in the evening from the boat deck that would be my floating hotel for 10 days. I ran into the shop, making straight for the bike I had drooled over in magazines for months. It looked spectacular mounted on the podium in the middle of the shop. I was quite surprised to see that there were only three other people in the shop. I could have sworn the queue behind me was bigger than that. I also needed some new winter clothes. I had lost so much weight last year that none of my existing winter cycling gear fitted me. I made my way over to the clothing section. A guy was stood taking up all the room in front of the jackets. I asked him to move very politely, but he just looked straight through me. I tuttered. That didn't get any reaction. I reached round him and took a jacket, bib tights and a base layer from the hangers. I approached the service desk and started to talk to the customer service assistant about the bike, but they just ignored me too. I was starting to get agitated. No one was taking any notice of me and the money was beginning to burn a hole in my pocket. I had dreamed about this bike all year and my frustration was getting the better of me. I tried to attract the attention of someone who would just let me pay for my stuff and wheel my pride and joy from the bike showroom. I turned to the woman behind me in the queue. I needed to vent. I had been waiting for 10 minutes, being ignored by all the people serving in the shop. Suddenly, the unthinkable happened. Someone walked into the shop, walked up to the guy behind the counter, and within two minutes was the proud owner of the bike I had craved, dreamed about, and drooled over all year. The woman in the queue behind me tapped me on the arm. Don't worry, dearie, she said. Not everyone can see spirits, it's only the chosen few. Momentarily, I was shocked. Then the realisation of my predicament hit me. A bit like the transit van that was coming round the bend on the wrong side of the road last Christmas that I didn't see. Wow. That's such an unexpected ending. Good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, lovely, lovely twist to get April. Yeah, I'd, a bit of a, thank you very much. A little bit of the macabre in me, I think, that... Uh, that wrote that I changed that ending so many times when I was writing it it was unbelievable and then I thought you know what let's just go for something short and simple and shocking yeah it worked it did work definitely yes thank you did not expect that at all 
I know you were like masses too long, weren't you? Originally, you were like fifteen hundred words or something. Yeah, I had I had fifteen hundred words, and and it wasn't the same ending. And I just kind of was droning on a bit, and I thought, you know, that doesn't sound all right. So I chopped it right back. Yeah. Sometimes it's a nice exercise, though, isn't it? That's what I like about flash fiction. It does make you condense it, and that shock is what you need. I think it makes it happen. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I struggle with, because I'm fairly sort of scientific, is putting anything flowery in so that people's imaginations can run a bit wild or whatever. Whilst I can see it, I'm not overly sure everybody else can. Yeah. yeah it's, that, it's that art of, like, show, not tell. I think that's the kind of ingredient that is is best, show, yeah. not tell. Yeah. Definitely. There we go. So I never did get my bike. No, you're not likely to now. <laughs> that was quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that you chose cycling to base this death thing around just because it's the one thing you know pretty much more than anything else in the world other than growing veggies <laughs> thanks yeah it, it's that though isn't it it's like it's like right what what you know that's what they always say and it's true it's true because you put that presence on it and it makes it believable it was believable yeah it was believable right to that very end bit <laughs> I got on the scales um, on New Year's Day and I absolutely frightened myself to death. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, we won't ask you to tell everybody what you no. ate. <laughs> I kept, I kept, I, I got on them three times because I thought they were lying. <laughs> Actually, the scales frightened me to death, so I don't get on. Oh dear. I don't have to get there. Not good, is it? It's really not good. No, no it's not. not. I actually don't have a pair of jeans that fits me. Every pair of jeans that I had and every pair of trousers that I had that I used to wear to go to work in in January and February of last year, I absolutely cannot get any of them on at all. That's really not good. You've got one of those under-the-desk cycle things. Are you using that? Oh, yeah. They don't really seem to be doing a great deal. No, I meant to cycle, not to store stuff on. Yeah, of course I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think getting on my bike and actually going out on it rather than it being a very expensive ornament stood in the conservatory would be a good idea. Agreed. Have you made any resolutions? No, none whatsoever. What about you, Carolyn? Have you made any? No, not really. Apart from don't drink as much, I think. and Because I think that the Christmas holidays, you do indulge a little bit too much, don't you? Yeah. Um, mind you, on Boxing Day, Christmas Day I'm not, not too fond of because it's all about cooking and it's just, just bloody hard work and by the time you get to, to eating it you don't want to do you know what i mean you're kind of yeah. fed up um so and you always cook that 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 more and so you've got like my favorite day then is boxing day the fry up that's for that yeah but what i did what i did, you know you do you know, all the potatoes and veg and it's fried so you've got that like, lovely crispy thing going on so anyway so then i burnt myself on the fry up Burnt my mouth, that's what I mean. Um, oh. So that made me sore. So I've not been able to eat a bloody chocolate all week. <laughs> and that's a good diet. Stuff. Honest, honest. So I had to go out and get something soft, so I got cake. Oh, oh right, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to help the lockdown weight. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. Well, talking of not being asked to cook Christmas dinner, I think this is a good time for Carolyn to read her story. Me too. Morgan Crokey. Excellent. Okay, January sale. 
For the first time in months, Jan was cooking a proper meal. The first Christmas day as a singleton. She'd been bullied into hosting Christmas dinner by her brother Brian, who would be turning up with his wife, Kate and Dad. It was a first for him as well. Jan welled up thinking of her mum dying at the same time her husband walked out. The house had the aroma of roasting turkey and her cooking skills were on trial as she had dwindled to beans on toast, to sandwiches. She couldn't be asked to cook for just herself. And she resented being forced into it now. Well, she didn't want her dad to be on his own. But why couldn't Brian invite everyone to theirs? Not that she would have gone. She reluctantly fetched the tree and decorations down from the attic and trimmed up. She wouldn't have bothered if Santa had been coming. She had to go out and do a load of shopping instead of curling up on the sofa with the quilt. John felt drained before they arrived, but got changed into a skirt and blouse, both a bit creased, but she couldn't be asked to iron. The knock on the door made a grimace, and she hoped that they wouldn't stay all day. Her dad walked in with a smile and a bag of presents. They hugged in turn, and Kate was laden with home-baked mince pies and a Christmas cake. Brian handed the presents, and she immediately hoped that they hadn't spent a lot as she just brought them aftershave and perfume. Jan hadn't the heart for shopping. She didn't have any Christmas spirit in her at all. Jan had bought her dad a card again, and she noticed it filled out a bit, where she had dropped a stone she didn't need to. The house was quiet, so Jan put the TV on and switched the fairy lights on to cheer the place up. Everyone seemed happy with their gifts. She was taken aback by the gift of oil paints, brushes and canvas balls from her dad. You were always good at art, Jan, he said. It's about time you took it up again. Then it was a success, even though Jan was miserable inside. She busied herself fussing over the food, not eating much herself. She was pleased when they all retired to the lounge and refused any help in the kitchen, and she was relieved when they left. Closing the door behind them, then resting her back on it to shut out the world, then she slid down to the floor and cried in silence. The days to New Year's Eve had been blank, and John spent a lot of time staring at nothing, thinking nothing, and weeping. It was the end of a shit year, and she didn't want to start another. She zombie shuffled into the lounge, took down the cards, unplugged the tree and carried it to the back door. She was going to dump the whole thing in the bin. The key wasn't in the door and she couldn't be asked to search for it, so she robotically took it back to the attic. It was freezing up there and she dumped the tree, still fully decorated, in the corner. The room had the burrowed light from a street lamp and she moved to the dorm window. There was a great view over the Christmas-lit town. It was ten o'clock and the taxis were dashing around and a gritter lorry was coating icy roads. Any trees with foliage were fighting a ferocious wind and the cold made her stiffen. Then she thought that if she opened the window and sat on the ledge, she would freeze to death and then slide down the roof and out of the future. The window was locked and no key. What is it with bloody keys now? She spat. She saw the huge banner on the department store in the square. Big white letters on a red background. January sale. It was tied to the guttering and the wind made it flap violently. 
then the right side broke free and it flipped up and across the roof, white side up. John watched it as it did a frantic flip and landed letter side up. Unfolded, it read, Jan, sail. It was her name and it held her attention. It then whipped again and landed all concertina. The only clear letter was U before it performed again a caterpillar arrangement spelling arse before somersaulting away to the floor. Jan gripped the cold windowsill. She knew she'd been sent a message. Jan, you arse. She put a coat on and headed for the store. The banner hung like a bandage. In the window there was a shabby sheet painted wall panel. On it were the words, happiness is a journey, not a destination. Don's mobile rang. It was her dad. I'm just ringing to wish you a happy new year, darling. And make sure you live a good one. I miss you, Mum, every day, you know. But now I can listen to jazz music when I like. And I've got my saxophone out. Your Mum mated both. I also have a bacon sandwich for breakfast instead of a ruddy muesli. Just as she stared at the wall panel, her dad said, Happiness is a journey, darling. And I am going to be on that happy, happy journey for the rest of my life. And I want to see you do the same. Oh, and that wax coat you wear, Jan, it does nothing for you. It's the colour of soil. You look like you've just been dug up. I put your £200 in the pocket. Go get yourself a nice smart coat in the January sales. I do like that. I love that bit about the coat. I do. <laughs> oh, that is very, very good, Carolyn. Oh, bless you. Thank you. I like the, uh, the 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 sort of thoughts of Jan as she's wandering round and doing what she's doing, especially the bit about the Christmas tree and the keys. It, it, it's the fact that you know it's this is supposed to be like a magical time of the year, but you know for some people it isn't. And it was just that little germ of thinking there are some people that are miserable, sort of invisible illness, isn't it? Like de- depression, it's got many different depths. It's like the family recognizing that she's down and wanting to help her but she's rejecting everything because you can't turn around to somebody like that and say look pull yourself together no you can't but, you know that's like putting put a plaster on a broken leg isn't it if you know what I mean yeah so it was just kind of bringing that but wanting it to be a, a jolt out to, to bring her out of that little misery if, but without somebody saying pull yourself together it was that secret message she got to read it. She got to kind of sense what that was all about. Yeah, and I think her dad dealt with it very well as well, right at, at the very end. The sort of I like I like that touch. I mean, that the comment about the coat was hilarious. She looking like she'd just been dug up because she could take that in two ways, couldn't you? She, you know, she could be looking like she has just been dug up. <laughs> yeah. But then you've got the sort of metaphor with the coat. It does make you think. I thought it was relatable. There's so much in it that so many people listening are going to sit there going, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. I really can't be asked. I know exactly what she's going through. It's just so relatable. It I, is. I love the bit about sitting on the windowsill and sliding out of the future. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was amazing. That was really clever, that bit. Really clever. Oh, thank you. You walk through the story, though, don't you, yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? You- Actually, do you know what, Daisy? It was you that set me off on, on the floor because you, you put something on Facebook and it was so poignant and it was something about the, a, a, a grave and, the, and, and the, the top being 
unsettled. Oh, Can you remember it? Oh, I, I know the post you mean. I can't remember it off the top of my head. It was fabulous, oh. fabulous. And there was the germ, to be honest. That, that, there was the germ. And then in, in our kitchen, when I'm, when I'm prepping food and what have you, we actually have a game of cards each side of the cooker. Sounds weird, yeah. I know, but we are. And, and the, the, the set of cards is, is kept in a, in a tin. And on the tin, it says, Happiness is a journey, not a destination. And there, there was the two things. And, and in between that, that, that that's where the words yeah. felt, yeah, if you know exactly. what I mean. I found that Facebook post. It said, a lot of the worst times of my life are buried so that I can continue on to live my day-to-day life, to enjoy the happy times with my family and my much-loved friends. The problem I have is that the grave those worst times are buried in is shallow and storms have a tendency to come along and disturb the earth. It's a pretty black day-to-day. Bloody brilliant, that. Absolutely bloody brilliant. And that was the germ that set Aww. me off. Isn't it amazing how you affect somebody else and don't even know it? Yeah. It, uh, I love that. I love it when it all comes together. But, yeah, that's what started me off on, on, on this one. I'm blown away there. Thank you so much. That's just how I felt that day. Well, don't start. Put some more on. Enjoy it. Right, we've got one more story to go then, which is my one. This is... On the January sales writing prompt, but it's called Norman. Norman sat on the side of Jessica's bed, gazing down at the serene, sleeping face of his daughter. He sat with an erratic, elevated heart rate, the sweat now drying on his brow. Who would ever have guessed that the screaming tantrums of a six-year-old little girl could shake his world and his sanity to such extremes? He was a desperate man. He had to do what his daughter wanted before their world imploded. He felt he may be on the verge of a heart attack, which would leave his princess at the mercy of her unreliable bitch of a mother. That or he could pack a bag and run, run for the hills and never look back. All this drama for a doll called Tina who cried real tears. As he stared down at the sleeping tyrant with the angelic face, A glimmer of a plan started forming in his mind. He knew that the forgotten toy shop had the one single remaining doll available for sale in their town, and Norman thought he knew just how to get it. It was the evening of December 31st, 2019, when high street shops were still a thing. The biggest risk to go in shopping was getting crushed in the crowds, frantic to grab a bargain. At 12.30am, Norman let himself into his neighbour Millie's house. She never did lock the back door, and if he knew anything, he knew that by this time, she'd be slumped in a drunken sleep on the sofa, the joys of single-parent life celebrating New Year's alone at home. Norman spirited himself upstairs, picked up Millie's son, four-year-old Fletcher, and carried him, still sleeping, back to his own house and gently carried him upstairs and tucked him into bed. Then he padded back downstairs, locked the front and the back doors, before settling himself at the kitchen table, where he took a certain amount of joy, ripping letters carefully out of newspapers and magazines, arranging them into a random note, just like the ones he'd seen on his favourite show, Murder, she wrote. The finished note read like this. I have your son. If you want to see him again, go by the Tina doll and leave her on your back porch at 10am today. Millie woke up groggy and disorientated on the sofa at four o'clock with a heavy head. She staggered from the sofa to the hallway, intent on taking a couple of painkillers, 
and getting at least a couple more hours sleep before Fletcher woke up. On her way past the front door, out of the corner of her eye, she saw a flash of red ribbon. As she turned, she saw it was attached to a large white envelope hanging from the letterbox. She was surprised. The posters don't work New Year's. She sank onto the bottom of the stairs to open the envelope, far too tired to bother going back into the lounge. Her eyes widened as she read and reread the ransom note. Was this some sort of joke? Millie raced up the stairs to Fletcher's bedroom. He wasn't there. She checked the bathroom, calling his name as she raced from room to room. Panic was taking over now as she flew down the stairs and out of the front door, still in her pyjamas and slippers, to rouse the neighbours for help. Norman was just on the verge of pouring the milk into his much-deserved cup of tea, feeling quite proud of himself. He was a problem-solver, to be sure. When the pounding on the front door made him jump and spill the milk all over the counter. Damn it! He ran to the door and threw it open before the noise could wake the children to see Millie sobbing on the doorstep, her words barely audible between sobs. It's Fletcher! He's gone! Someone took him! Oh God, please help me! Norman ushered her into the lounge and as he turned to shut the door, a huge grin lit up his face. He was in his element right now. The only thing better than divorcing this bitch was her moving in next door so he could mess with her head. The end. <laughs> I like oh, it. Oh, lovely. I'm beginning to oh, wonder yeah. if we're all not a bit twisted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. All three of them had a little bit of something, something, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. I like the twist that he's actually living next door to his ex-wife. Yeah, that was that. Because at first you, you didn't you thinking, oh, you're sad, you're sad, and then and then it's like that that bitch next door, and it and that made it right. <laughs> <laughs> that made it okay to me. <laughs> I love the kids because I've always been a massive fan of Murder She Wrote. I'll, I'll watch it time and time again. I know it's dated. I know it's ancient, and I know it's all a bit corny. But I love it. I will watch it whenever it's on the telly. So I think, I don't know if anyone noticed, but the kids are called Jessica and Fletcher. Yes, I got to notice that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to indulge myself a little bit. I felt quite sorry for Millie, actually. I do. You wait till you read next month. Well, sorry, not it's not next month, is it? Till you read the next one. Just sick of it. Uh-huh. Norman makes a reappearance. Oh, right. Does, oh. does Millie? Oh. Millie does. Norman doesn't get any better. Well, I don't think he's that bad. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm assuming that Fletcher's his son anyway. So all he is his son, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So all he's done is just take him from next door to yeah. to be with his sister, really. Yeah, he's just done it to be mean to poor yeah. Millie. I, I think that last bit, though, I think it kind of makes you want to know a bit more. I think you know, I'm, I'm, when you said, "Oh, it, it makes another appearance," thinking, "Well, actually, I won't, I won't mind. I'd yeah. like a bit more of that." <laughs> I want to know why yeah. they've ended up living next door to each other. All will become apparent. Oh, right. And just sick of it. And, for, and it made it strangely easier to write the flash fiction for just sick of it because I've already got the characters and I already know what they're like and how they think and what they can be capable of. So it made it easier to write just sick of it because I already sort of I know who I'm writing it about. I haven't had to create the people for it. I've just had to create the story. Have Norman and Millie then become real to you? They are real. <laughs> 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 Do you mean have to become real? They are real. 
you base them on anybody? No. No. <laughs> no. I was just trying to wonder if you'd pluck somebody's family from out of thin air and thought, mm, I'm just going to write about this because this is what happened. Although I haven't based them on any actual living people, Norman's name, Norman, came from a Stephen King book from one of his characters called Norman, who was also not a very nice man. Okay. He was, he was much worse than my Norman, put it that way. Very, very bad man. Brilliant book called Rose Madder. But you see, it's actually, though, the, 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 what Millie is it, the wife, she's obviously drunk with, in charge of a, a child, so to me, she wasn't the very nice person. Ooh. This is why I want to see what happens next. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I'm thinking, what well, a cow going to, you know, getting drunk, and, you know, she's in charge of a child. Yeah, I suppose so, actually, yeah, thinking about it. So, isn't yeah. that every, Isn't yeah. that every parent, though, at Christmas so, and New Year? Naughty ones, the naughty parents. <laughs> Isn't that the way most parents get through Christmas Day? Yeah, but yeah, but wasn't it mentioned that this is what she was normally like? Yeah. Yeah. This was yeah. habitual. It was habitual it was, for her. Yeah. yeah, she is quite a disturbed woman, is Millie. She's had a really hard time. More will wow. become apparent next time we do a flash fiction, but she's had a really hard time. Norman has been most difficult to live next to. And with, and have children oh, with. Oh, it is. Novel. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, It'd be nice if you could write a novel just one page later. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, you flint. They were at chuck chapters away, you know. Did you? And just, yeah. They're just chapters. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. It's not necessary. Be brave and dump it, which they did. Yeah. I can't even imagine chucking whole chapters away. That must really hurt. If it's not kind of making it go further, if it's you just think, do you know what? It's just yeah, not necessary. Yeah. It's just not necessary. I think it, you know, I'd rather it be punchy than I've, I've just read um, actually it's, it's, it's an old book now, and it's like um, you know the girl in the spider's web. I think you know you could have took fifty fifty thousand words out of that chuck to Swain. It would still be the um, same novel. Okay, so just completely superfluous. Just don't need it. Uh, yeah, just lots of information that you just. I'm thinking, oh, will this ever end, this bit? I'm a, a bugger for putting books down that I read it and it starts off really good in the beginning and then it just turns into drivel in the middle and I just don't I don't persevere with it. I just put it down. Do you not want to know the ending? Well, I can go skip to the ending and read the last 15 pages <laughs> and I know what's happened then. <laughs> I've missed all the dross out the middle, to be fair. <laughs> Do you find it harder then to either of you, both of you, to fit in that kind of emotion and to draw out that kind of emotion that you want to affect somebody else with when it's flash fiction and it's less than a thousand words and you've got like a page to convey however much emotion you want to do? It you really have got to make the words count, haven't you? There's no frills in there. So, yeah, it's, it's great if you can actually wax lyrical about um, sort of making people, the powerfulness of, of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it is difficult, but but I also think that is good about the challenge of flash fiction. Yeah. That, that's what I like I, I like about it. I'd rather write a novel <laughs> than flash fiction. In fact, the hardest thing to write on Flint was actually the, the, the blurb for the, for the back. back oh, okay, yeah. If I, if I wrote that once, I wrote it 30 times. It's the hardest wow. thing to write. Right. The hardest thing to because, because you can't give it away, but you've also got to make somebody interested enough to, to pick that book up. Yeah, 
How do you find getting the emotions out, April, in, in a short flash fiction? I don't I don't know, because I've got to think about the fact that I'm sort of fairly logical and, and I wouldn't say I'm that emotional of a person, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I'm, no, I think I'm kind of sort of straightforward. I mean, the only film I've ever cried at has been the cartoon version of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> you know. She's odd. She's odd. She's, <clears throat> she's blunt so, is what she is. She's she's emotional, yeah. but she's blunt. <laughs> so I kind of... I, 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 I don't know whether I'm getting the emotion across or not. I'll leave that for other people to... Do you think it's to, more of a byproduct then? I think it possibly is more of a byproduct, yeah, because I'm I'm fairly factual. I'm one of these people that when somebody's talking, I just think, get to point, please get to the point. <laughs> I don't like to listen to, you know, a paragraph when just one sentence will do. And there are an awful lot of people that can turn a sentence into a paragraph. So flash fiction should be brilliant for you then. Well, but you did it though, April. When when it, it got me when that that when well, it was a twist to it, but when the bird was going to be killed, I'll be like, no, no. And then <laughs> yeah. that's when it started to click. And then you killing Rudolph off <laughs> and all. I mean, that, that, it was a little bit of an upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to ruin Christmas. <laughs> yeah, to ruin Christmas for everybody. <laughs> uh, Maybe it's the fact that we've all lived through the hell that has been COVID-19 in 2020. 2020 we've not yeah. been out. We've had too much time to think. <laughs> we've like, overthought everything yeah. and everything's got a little bit dark and all that emotion's got to come out somewhere. Yeah. So I think that's probably yeah. where we ended up with Christmas flash yeah. fiction. <laughs> it was a bit dark because of all of that, maybe. And that's been, that's been really, really enjoyable. Um, thank you ever so much, Carolyn, for agreeing to join in with us and co-host the podcast with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me read my story out. And well, actually, give him the encouragement to pick that buyer up and, and put my paintbrush down for you know for a bit. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been brilliant joining us. Thank you so much for being here. So a very, very uh, warm thank you to Carolyn for her flash fiction and for coming on to read it. What have we got lined up then, Daisy, for next week? Next week, we have an author interview, the first one of 2021. We are currently reading a book called Listed by indie author LJ Kerry. And next week, she is joining us on the podcast so we can talk all things writing and listed. It will be a good one. I've very first one of the year. Wicked. I can't wait. Are you, are you reading it? Are you getting on with it? I've I've started to read it, yes. I've started yeah. to read it. It's kind of a dystopian, yeah. more aimed at teenagers, maybe in 20s. Adolescents, I, I don't, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think it's good for that age range, I really do. I'm going to say it's interesting. So anyway, we shall see what uh, LJ Kerry has got to say next yeah. week. And for anybody that is writing flash fiction along with us, the Just Sick of It deadline is the 13th. So if you want to submit something for that, feel free. As long as it's in by the 13th, we'll be happy to read it. Brilliant. See you next week with LJ Kerry Enlisted. Yeah, see you next week. Take care, everybody. 
If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod 1 on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you.